If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. Welcome to Considering Catholicism. I'm Greg Smith, your guide to the faith, life, and civilization that is historic Catholic Christianity. About a week ago, I thought it would be nice to play some Christmas music in my car. It's that time of year, and I wanted to get into the mood as I was driving around running errands. But when I tried to find a decent playlist on the satellite radio or the music streaming apps on my phone, well, well, it didn't go well. Which caused me to go on an epic rant about Christmas music to my poor wife. Now, she agreed with me, but quickly got tired of hearing me go on and on about it and told me to stop whining. But I wanted to keep whining, so I called my friends Corey and Ed and I unleashed my rant about Christmas music on them. But instead of telling me to shut up about it already, they joined in. And then all of us thought how nice it would be to share our collective rant with you. So we met up and ranted together. And we recorded it and broke it up into two episodes. This is the first part of our conversation. But before I play that for you, I'd like to take a moment to invite you to make Lent 2023 the Lent of a lifetime, by coming with me to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and the Apostles. This coming March, I'm leading a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. We'll visit Nazareth and we'll take a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee to see where Jesus recruited the Apostles and performed miracles and preached the Sermon on the Mount. We'll have Mass, where Peter, James, and John witnessed the Transfiguration. We'll go through the Jordan River Valley and stand where Jesus was baptized. We'll visit the Judean wilderness, where he was tempted by Satan. We'll visit Bethlehem and the Grotto of the Nativity, where he was born. In Jerusalem, we'll actually go into the Upper Room, where he held the Last Supper and appeared after the Resurrection. And, just before Passion Week, we'll walk where Jesus suffered his passion, from the Garden of Gethsemane to his trial, and will pray the stations of the cross where they actually happened, up to the Rock of Calvary where he was crucified, and will see his empty tomb. Now, at that point, you'll have the option of flying home, but some of us will be flying to Turkey for four more days, discovering the cities of the New Testament, Ephesus and Colossae and Heropolis and Sardis and Smyrna. This is where Paul preached and planted churches and to where the epistles of the New Testament were addressed. Now, for the details on prices and accommodations and such, go to consideringcatholicism.com. Consideringcatholicism.com. And when you get there, on the top of the first page, you'll see a big Lenten purple banner that says, Holy Land Pilgrimage, March 2023. Join Greg Smith in Israel and Turkey for Lent. Click on that banner, and it will take you to the information and sign-up page on the 206 Tours website. Now, you want to be a part of our group, 
So make sure that you sign up for the group with my name, Greg Smith, and use the trip code GS110221. Now, I know we have listeners spread all over the United States and in many other countries, and and that's no problem. You can work with Liz and their amazing staff to make your arrangements from wherever you live. But time is short. We're leaving on March 20, and that's less than four months away. If you have any questions for me, shoot me an email, greg at consideringcatholicism.com. Okay, and now here's Corey, Ed, and I asking, whatever happened to Christmas carols? So I'm here with Ed, the Protestant. Here I am. And Corey, the Catholic. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so today is going to be a little bit of a holiday episode, considering Catholicism a holiday episode. And really what is occasioning it is a rant that I went on uh, last week about Christmas carols. Always entertaining. Yes. (laughs) So I got to tell the backstory here. Uh, to our listeners. So it kind of sets up the conversation. So around this time of year, I think, well, it would be nice to listen to some Christmas music, you know, driving in my car, walking the dog, you know, in the, in the house. And so I go to all of these playlists. I go to Spotify and Apple and Amazon or whatever, and I'm looking for Christmas playlist. Okay. And first of all, all of the Christmas playlists come up are filled that come up are filled with all this stuff that's not about Christmas or it's mm-hmm. like super secular and whatever. So either you get the um, you know the hot rod Rudolph or the mom is making out with Santa Claus or you know some kind of thing like that uh, or home for the holidays you know or Feliz Navidad or whatever. But I can't find you know I'm looking for traditional Christmas carols about the baby Jesus and the wise men. And the shepherds and the angels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all that. About the songs about the nativity, right? And I'm thinking like, well, oh, holy night, oh, little town of Bethlehem, whatever. Right. So I got to go through these playlists and keep sorting, you know, you have to enter these keywords, you know, like religious or Christian or Catholic Christian or traditional Christian. And finally you get a couple of playlists and it has some of those songs uh, some of those carols, but the thing is, is it's just the same carols redone 27 times by different artists in different genres. Sure, so sure. here's the country Western guy, his version of Holy Night, and here's the pop divas version of Holy Night, and here's the Mormon Tabernacles choir singing Holy Night. But you start to go, so where this went for me is I started to go, well, why aren't there more Christmas carols? Because it starts to feel like there's only a dozen songs. So then I went to Google and I said, I started Google lists. And I said, list of traditional Christian Christmas carols, you know, variations of that Google search. And all of a sudden it was like this light bulb goes off. There's not more than 15 or 20 of those songs. At least well-known ones. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So Ed, you were saying before we started the recorder, we could probably sit here and name 12 or 14 of them, you know, 
So, O Little Town of Bethlehem, O Holy Night. Joy to the World. Joy to Hark, Hark the Herald, Herald Angels, Angels Sing, yeah. right? And But the list starts to get real thin real fast. And then, you, again, you go on Google or whatever and you find these lists. And it turns out, depending on which list I saw, there's maybe like 18, 20, 22 of them. It starts falling off really fast and you get into stuff like the holly and the ivy and the, what's that French one? Oh, Leland font or whatever. Isn't there one called foom, foom, foom? I don't think know. So. <laughs> yeah, there, 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 are, there are some more obscure ones. Right. There's sort of, so there's like your, your kind of A-listers, you know, mm-hmm. the old Haley Knights and Little Town of Bethlehem and all this kind right. of stuff. And then it sort of falls off to the kind of a B list and then it sort of falls off a cliff and becomes super obscure. And the point being is if you actually make a list of those things, there's not more than 18 to 20. And so this began to prompt my rant. Okay. Because almost all of them are at like a hundred or more years old, silent night. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and it began to dawn on me or a question arose, which is, why hasn't anyone written any new Christmas carols like that in the last hundred years? And so I'm defining a Christmas carol as basically a, a, a song that has, you know, four verses or whatever. Uh, it, it has rhyme and meter. Uh, it's in a traditional arrangement and it's about the nativity. And I think we would distinguish it from like liturgical music that's that's meant to be within you know the context of of a liturgy and and other kinds of music. This is like for popular singing, like like everybody sings along in a carol. Right, right. That's the whole point of the carol, yeah. right? We can all walk right. on. Little children can all carol. We can all sing "Oh Holy Night." We can all sing "Hark the Herald Angels Sing." We can all sing "Silent Light." You know, sure there are, uh, you know, choral pieces and things like that that are not that sort of single, but there, well, there was one time at one time in the past, they wrote songs like that, that were singable about the nativity. Now here's the exception. Google tells me if I enter or some of these playlists and I enter the word contemporary Christian, uh, Christmas songs, a whole lot of them come up, but they are Ed looking at you. They are praise and worship. Evangelical contemporary praise and worship song. So it's some like, you know, it's like the wise men came on that starry night. The wise men, and then it's a chorus about the wise men came on that starry night, and they just go on for nine minutes. And the bridge is we sing the word starry, starry night about 60 times. Right. And it just goes on for nine minutes, and it's boring. And I'm sorry. Unless the fog machine breaks, and then we can only go about (laughs) 20. So I'm sorry, dear listeners. I, I, I became Catholic partly to escape contemporary praise and worship music because. It's sort of uh, dull and mindless and repetitive. And, and what I love about those traditional songs, and so that's what we're going to get in here today, is what is it about that traditional Christian music um, and those carols that they had, they were singable, they were lyrically and theologically rich, they were singable by congregations and people and groups, they had melodies, you could pick them up, everybody can you know, recall those things. And it just seems to me that in the last, I don't know what, hundred years, nobody writes this stuff. Now, somebody is going to say, before I throw this to you guys, I know that I'm going to get an email from somebody and say, oh, here's some links to contemporary Christian theologically rich songs. And it's going to be something like Michael Card or whatever. And I love some of Michael Card's music, but it's like singer songwriter stuff. 
And he's written some stuff about the nativity and, and all that, but it's singer songwriter. It's like listening to James Taylor sing a song or something. (laughs) It's not something that all the little children with scarves and, and things of hot chocolate are going to go around door to door and sing Michael card songs to people. So what happened? So here's when I'm going to throw this to the audience, taking me a big, long setup and I'm going to throw it to, to the two of you. Why don't we have any more Christmas carols than the 15 or 20 on that list? And apparently we haven't written any new ones in a hundred years. So I toss it to Ed the Protestant and Corey the Catholic and say, go. Well, you want to take that first? Or, I mean, there's a lot uh, of things we could cover. Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is that the hymn form, okay, is, is just pretty much passed out of the culture. Okay, that's just not there anymore. What, what do you mean by that? Um, the hymn form would be the form. The, the, the form would be you know, the four song part, style. The, the right, song right. style, four part harmony, something you can put down on one page of music with the four parts written out. So we're talking only about sixteen or twenty measures worth of. Okay, you know what I now mean? you're talking like technical music stuff. But for those of us and for those who are listening, unpack that a little bit. Help okay. us to understand what is it, and I want you to explain what. What are the essential elements of those old Christmas carols? Well, they were built on the rules for composing, okay, which which are uh, not terribly familiar to me. I didn't take any college classes or anything, but the four-part harmony has rules for how it's arranged. So four-part harmony, you'll see in a hymn book, in a hymn arrangement, you'll see uh, the soprano and alto on the top and the tenor and the bass on the bottom. There are four four parts, and there are rules for how they move together, okay? okay. Um, the big rule is no parallel fifths. There you go. That's all I know about. Anyway. Corey, do you understand anything that he's saying? Not really. Okay. Okay. So anyway, but there's a form. Which is just evidence for what he's saying. Right. <laughs> but there's a form for it. And even if you don't know those forms, you when you hear a well-written hymn in four-part harmony, you, you, it's pleasing, Right, you well, like I know it, it when I hear it. Right, okay. So, so then the people who did that well, you know, there was a market for it. Right, people were assembling hymn books, and and it was, um, you know, you can't make money selling, you know, eight hymnals. You have to sell them to the right. whole country. Okay, you right. were in publishing, right? You know oh, more about I, this yes, than I, me. Yeah. So, so you have to. So, when the time came that you could sell hymnals all across the country, or sell a song to everybody who publishes a hymnal, then there's monetary. You know, uh, it makes uh, it worth it. Draws it out the songwriters, the right. artists, they work on it, and yeah, you're right. So, I mean, so, so that's one thing. Okay, right, go on, just and just real quick. Okay, so over the last what. 40, 50 years, we had right. the overhead projector followed right. by the slide projector, followed by the whatever digital, because, uh, right? Okay. And then back in the day, to your point, there were hymnals in the pews. So if you had a church where there were 300 seats or 500, 1,000 seats right. in your church, you're buying 500 copies of that book at 1495 or whatever the right. publisher price was. And now you go, well, once we started going down that path, and I'm old enough to remember when we were putting them on the overhead projector thing, <laughs> right? Right. And so now there's no there's no music to sell. There's no there's no business model right. for that. Well, this is part of the greater dumbing down of music. So we're not we're not um we're not reading notes on a page in church anymore. So the ability to do that has, <clears throat> excuse me, has dropped way off. Okay, and the uh, the songs that we sing now are being 
you only get them from the radio. That's mm. the only place you get them. How does, you know. Or, you know, now, of course, you know, whatever the modern radio is, which is Spotify and, you know, blah, well, blah, right, blah, but, YouTube. Right. Yeah. But, okay. So, so, so I go to church at the Protestant church. How does my music director find new songs that people can sing? Well, they have to already know them pretty much. Right. Pretty much. I mean, uh, and so the, the words are going to be up front. So it's got to be super simple so that you can catch it the first time around or the second time around. Um, and it's, and there's nobody's going to be reading any notes. So the, 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 the um, motivation to write something like that is kind of gone. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I have a couple of thoughts based on what you said, Ed. One is kind of parallel to to that is that we don't really have a culture of of popular singing anymore. Right. Um, like you, you have the old stereotype of people going door to door Christmas caroling or people just singing in their homes, um, whether it's hymns or other popular kinds of songs or people singing in pubs or bars or whatnot. We we just don't do that as much anymore um, culturally, and I think that saps away a lot of the demand for something like a hymn um, because we generally just, that, that's not on our radar. It's not something we we do for fun or just casually. Um, and the other thing is that even though there are, you know, churches that still have hymnals, most Catholic churches do because they don't use projectors, um, blessedly. Um, e- even in that case, the the demand for that kind of song has fallen off except at Christmas time when we pull out, um, right. <laughs> we pull out the, the tried and true 15 songs or, or however right. many it is. Um, and, and this isn't universal of course, but for the most part, people are, are wanting, um, different kinds of songs. They're, they're wanting, um, just, just things that aren't in that form, as you said. Right. Well, there's no, so, so every Christmas Eve, my wife's family, we all go to, um, church in town that does a big, big Christmas program. And it's very good. It's very, with a horn section, a big, a big orchestra with violins and a big choir and all that. And everybody playing a horn and everybody singing in the choir, the, the average age is like 90. You know what I mean? <laughs> these are all, these are, there's hardly any kids in this because it's not cool to play the trumpet who wants to play the clarinet anymore you know there are and so much has become performance based right so you know my son uh and his wife last week went to see trans-siberian orchestra right which is this you know amazing Mm -hmm. kind of christmas concert with you know lasers yeah i I went to it as a teenager yeah, yeah and and it's like kind of a modern sort of you know christmas tradition what handel's messiah was to a previous right. generation i guess trans-siberian orchestra is and they were here in town and my son and his wife and it was pretty cool they said you know i should we should have gone with them and maybe next year we will but it was you know it but it's a show it's a there's spectacle a, there's a fog right. machine and lasers right. it's not participatory and, right and, and it's amazing but again it's not participatory we don't engage and, and i hear what both of you are saying is that there was a time when church music or Christian music or hymnody was something that the people engaged in and they learned to sing, as you said, Corey, in their homes and Ed, as you said, there were parts and you had sheet music and this, this cultivated a culture of, of, of what, of singing these kinds of songs and not just at Christmas, but all 
year, right? right? Well, and and you were talking about people writing these things, and especially you know in the age of publishing, that certainly happened. But you go earlier than that, and a lot of it bubbled up from the culture. Especially the music came from you know what people were singing at the pub or around the fire at home. It wasn't as if some composer came and said, "Let's, I'm going to write a tune and then write some." lyrics to it. Oftentimes it was, we kind of baptize the tune of some, you know, a mighty fortress. Was, right. was, mighty fortress was a German drinking song right. or something. Right? right. But, but even some of those things, right. I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, some of those old things are, are, are tunes that, you know, uh, had been around and people write other lyrics like, like now, you know, every other contemporary church you go to, they're going to do, you know, the Shrek song. The right. Shrek song. Oh, the Hallelujah. Um, like the song oh, from it, right? Oh, yeah. And then yeah, they just yeah. like change the lyrics, you know. Um, right. Right. So, I mean, that's that's been going on, I suppose, for thousands of years where popular melodies or whatever get, you know, incorporated. But again, I'm going to come back to, and I'm going to come back to Ed on this help us to understand, okay, I get the publishing thing, right? right? So you don't have rooms of writers going, let's crank out hymns, much less hymns about the nativity. They're only going to be used four weeks out of the year. Right. So, but we're just not going to write whatever it is that you said. I can't repeat it because I don't understand it all, but, you know, four-part harmonies with four right. verses and, you know, like those right. kind of classic songs. No one's going to write that because there's no way to get paid for doing it. Right. But, people are getting paid and it's super popular, right? Praise and worship music. Okay. Right. So there's, you know, huge uh, Christian publishing of praise and worship music artists that, you know, have made, you know, been famous and made a big living doing, and I can go on and find praise and worship music. So here's what I want you to do. Cause you've lived your whole life in that world. Right. Define for us, for our listeners, what exactly is praise and worship? I mean, define that for us musically. And what is its appeal? Well, um, it's, it's, it's got to be super easy to sing, okay? So it's got to be a verse and a chorus and maybe a bridge, okay? A bridge being like a two-line thing or something. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, typically repeated, meant to be repeated, meant to learn quickly. And it's got to be easy for, um, it's got to be easy for really, really amateur players to repeat. Okay. The guitars and the drums and the bass and all that stuff, the, 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 uh, combo band instruments, they have to be able to, to do something with that. So you can't, you know, um, it's like, you know, it's like a cover band. They're like cover bands. Okay. And you can, you can, uh, there's a reason why nobody goes into a bar with a cover band and covers Van Halen is because nobody can play that. Right. But if you, if you want to go there and, and cover something else, that's easy. That's what everybody does. And so that's the general direction that this all goes. So modern praise and worship songs have got to be easy. And my experience has been that they've boiled it down to the same four chords every time. I know it's inside baseball talk, but the one, the four, the five, and the six minor chord, that's all I ever see. I get asked to play at my church and I, that's, I just, you know, just tell me what key we're in and I can tell you which chords we're going to play and I can probably guess where they're going to come and, and so forth and so on. So uh, also the songs have to appeal. They have to appeal to emotion. The theology takes a back seat. Right. right? The, the most important thing, I'm telling you, if you're a music director in, a, in the Protestant world and you're listening to this, you can <clears throat> write me and we'll, we can argue about this, but I'm telling you, if there's no emotion, 
That's not going to happen three weeks in a row. There has to be emotion. It's got to pull people in. And so the easy way to do that is by, is by finding that little thing that tugs at people and then just hammering on it. So, right? so what I hear you saying, and again, I don't have the musical knowledge that you do, but I look at it just even lyrically and having been around that forever. So when I look at some of those, since we're, you know, not just hymns in general, but since we're on the Christmas carol hymns, mm-hmm how lyrically rich they are because they have four or five verses. Right. And there's like a credible little insights in each of the verses. So, you know, one of my favorite lines is in um, a little house, a little town, little town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem. One of my favorite lines ever is um, the hopes and fears of all, all the, the years yeah. are met, met in, in thee the tonight. tonight. Now that is yep. just theologically right. rich and imaginative, but that's only just like one line and there's four verses of those insights. <laughs> well, yeah. Or, right. or think about some of the other ones like hark the herald like um veiled in flesh the godhead see uh, hail right. incarnate deity pleased with us with man to dwell like like that's a that's an explication of of like part of the creed yeah well look at uh, oh holy night like uh what's it like the third verse or something like that somewhere in there it's like um the slave is now the brother slave is our brother. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so like in one song that takes you, you know what, four or five minutes to sing, there's four or five verses. And each of those verses is full of like all of these theological ideas. And it strikes me again, I'm not a musician, but having been around that world for so long, you know, as a pastor or whatever, it struck me that what you typically have in praise and worship is you pick one idea. Right. So if this is going to be like the, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the slave is a brother right. thing, we're, that's, that's it. Like you hand, you hand that right. to the songwriter and go, write me uh, a thing built around the one line, which is right. one theological insight. The slave right. is a brother. And then it's like, the slave is, you could do it, but the slave is a brother, the slave is a brother. And yeah. then you would send a bridge and it's like three verses to just unpack the one thought. Right. And so if they do three or four praise and worship, you know, a praise and worship set right. of four songs, you get like four ideas right. in 20 something minutes. Whereas the traditional hymn has, you know, four or five. It's much denser. Ide- yeah. yeah, denser in four minutes because each verse is rich. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, the thing is that these. Um, so it's like a tension span thing. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Like, absolutely. like this is, you use the term dumbed down. Right. The the songs are, this this is, I, I have to warn you guys, I'm not very far away from a rant I can't stop. Okay, so be, <laughs> let's, let's go easy with me here. Um, but it's, it's getting to be that the songs are all about me. Mm. That's what the worship songs are about. They're not about God, mostly. They're about me. And if they are about God, they're about how I, I feel about God. And if there's theology in there, it's about how that theology affects me. It's always about me. It always comes back to it's me. It's interesting you say, I knew you have taught, and I've talked about this before. So, you know, praise and worship song is, um, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Or I praise you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. Or you, you comfort me, Lord. You comfort me, Lord. But you say right. that I'm always in the lyric. And when I look at the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight, I'm not in that lyric, right? Well, you are, but as a, with everyone else. <laughs> right. <laughs> with, all, with all the rest of the world, right? So, so that, that, and that has to, in order for that to work, there's got to be an emotional appeal, right? So that's, that what that what happens is that it's like it's a it's a downward spiral okay it's a failure loop 
uh, that you that they keep getting into. And pretty soon, if you're going to sell a song on the radio, it's got to be emotional and it's got to be about the person who is singing it or listening to it, right? It's got to be about them. And because that's the only way you're going to sell songs. And then the only songs you're going to have on Sunday morning, if you're doing this this way, is you have to go to the radio or whatever, or Spotify and say, well, okay, who are the big artists? Who are the ones everyone's going to listen to? I need to do those songs because those songs, that's a shortcut. I start, I start that song and everybody knows it. My wife listens to contemporary Christian radio, among other things. I never listen to the radio of any kind. I just never, I don't, I don't have radio stations programmed in my, in my car, right? So we go to church and I'm playing catch up. I don't know these melodies. I, I'm pretty quick at this after all these years, but I'll just sing the bass notes so I don't have to try to remember the melody. I'll just hum along the bass notes and try to get in on the chorus. And, but that's what they have to do. And, and if you are getting paid a lot of money and you're in front of 2,000 people every weekend or something, or even, or even 300, and you need to put that music together every week, it's got to be something everybody can sing right now. And it's got to be something that the musicians can learn on a Wednesday night rehearsal because they're not going to read the, they're not a trumpet player who grew up going to through elementary and junior high and high school and learned how to play notes and read music and college. And then, and then, and then you put the music in front of them and they can just play it without, you know, no, you, you've got to, I mean, I, that's all, this is all I've ever done. Right. So you got to, so the whole thing just turns into, it just gets, pardon my rant. It just gets a dumber and dumber and more, farther away from good theology and more toward, I've, I've seen some horrible, horrible theology in some of this stuff. So, yeah, and that's, yeah, that's where it's going. You guys see that? I, yeah, I mean, I know that there's going to be people listening to this who love praise and worship music. And are going to tell right. us that we're all wet, that, you know, there's songs that are all just a, about Jesus and this and that. Uh, but I get where you're coming from because I, I that's what I, how I feel, and I'm just trying to I'm trying to be diplomatic for our listeners. But I just feel like <laughs> it is exactly that. It's a it's a failure loop. It's a dumbing down. It's a dumbing down in terms of like lyrically the the theological content and the nuances and the the thought, the insights. Right. And, and then Ed, you know, you again, I, neither Corey or I are musicians, so we can't talk about this knowledge. I mean, we just I listen to this, but it just seems like there's a a style. I don't know that you, know, you said four chords or whatever it is, but there's this style of this praise and worship music right. that doesn't feel rich. And I've listened to people who are musicologists and are super knowledgeable, and they'll talk about how the old hymn, the music of it right. is like more sophisticated. Harmonically. Yeah. There's way more going on in it. Yeah. And I can't comment on it like Greg on, on the technical level, but just from my experience, you, you talk about praise and worship being emotional. Um, to me, it has always felt forced emotionally. Like, right. like I'm, they, they're trying to like manipulate my emotion into, into some kind of overwrought um, right. expression. Whereas if you, if you have a good hymn, that has a, a beautiful melody and you sing lyrics that have deep meaning and are poetically, you know, it's a well-composed lyric. Um, it seems to me that emotions 
are often going to arise. Like the, right. it's, it's not that it's a, it's a robotic, unemotional event, but it arises naturally from the beauty of the music and from the, the literary beauty of, of the yeah, lyric. I, 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 I just want to jump on that because I, I feel that so much. Like when we sing some of those traditional Christmas songs, Christmas carols, there are moments in them that I genuinely will feel like a tear coming to my eye, you know, um, you know, when you think about the hopes and fears of all the years or met in the tonight, I mean, that, that actually just, I mean, I feel inspired by that or I'll feel, yeah. you know, there's, there's moments where you go, oh my, this is really poignant. And, and, but like you say, now we're supposed to feel this. It just, I don't know. And you can't respond emotionally to those heavy lyrics unless you know something about what they're, what they mean. you know, what they mean. I mean, if you, you know, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in the tonight. We don't know anything about the the, the, uh, the story of salvation. Well, what does that mean? You know, True. you got to be. That's a great point sure. that you have to understand. Right. So they are expressions of. Right. They assume the audience has some biblical knowledge. So I'll, I'll put a plug in for the Catholic Church, um, and it's uh, no charge. No charge for that. Can, um, this is what I I see much more theology being taught just at a rudimentary level. Okay, so I started praying the rosary, right? Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things I, I did was I got, I, I had, I, my, my mind was wandering. So I made, I went on the net and pulled in pictures of everything. Yeah. So, and so, so for the, for the, uh, I got a wonderful picture of the announcement. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's just this beam of light and this young woman sitting on a bed, right? Mm-hmm. So th- I look at those things rather than, right? Okay, but I'm, but I'm understanding all of this. And so when you, you know, if, if I'm getting that every week, every day in the rosary and you're getting it every time you go to mass, you're getting that every time. Um, my experience with the, uh, with Protestant churches has been that you mostly get, uh, you don't get taught that all the time. You have to go to Sunday school to get that. You're not going to get that. You're not going to get that in the church service. Um, and there's an enormous number of Protestants uh, that just really don't understand any of it. So as we kind of, um, what I want to do is we're going to stop here in a moment and then we're going to kind of stop the recorder and start up again. Cause I kind of want to break this conversation up into two parts. Cause I, there's another direction I want to go, but before we leave this part kind of round, round Robin around the table here to sort of summarize, you know, we started by talking about why is it that it seems that Christmas carols, meaning hymns about the nativity, singable hymns about the nativity have sort of disappeared other than the, you know, these artifacts, the, the 15 standards that just get recycled. Um, so where do we go from here in terms of making Christmas rich for ourselves and our families? I mean, you know, I've got my playlist to the 15 and I can cycle through them in about what, you know, an hour and 10 minutes and then you know, I just hit replay or I, I don't know. Thoughts? I mean, I'm a big, I don't have the technical musical knowledge or training that I wish I had, but I, I'm a big pusher of just singing um, all the time. Like I sing with my kids when it's Christmas time, we sing Christmas carols. We don't wait to go to church to sing them. Of mm-hmm. course we do sing them there, but like as, as much as I can, I, I want to make that just a part of our culture. And my hope would be that that can be a small contribution to, to restoring that to the broader culture, at least among Christians. Uh, we, I say we, we need to unplug from popular culture. We need to, to disengage, unhitch the wagon, start doing it our own way. Even I would say, there's, I could even make a case that popular Christmas carols, the good ones we're talking about, uh, and the, the hymns and stuff, they followed along popular culture back in the late 1800s when you, men were wearing straw hats and playing ukuleles and singing. You know, it, it's, it's not like the music that um, um, Handel was making or Mendelssohn. You know, I was just listening to Ave Maria, mm-hmm. you know, and I thought, man, there's just a, it's a thousand miles deep there, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the hymns aren't, like, aren't that deep. That, that's all I say sort of tied to and influenced by popular culture. So maybe we can get into this in the next talk, but um, that would be part of my solution would be to, to, to stop looking to culture for, for any cues. You know, you can't yeah. get away from it all. But Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, I, I hear what you're both saying. And I guess I would file that under, we have to start building our own subculture, our yes. own alternative culture. And really Christians have done that throughout the last couple thousand years at various times in the Roman Empire and other times, we had to build our own culture. And we have been, you know, the infamous frog in the kettle or whatever, in the boiling water for a long time where the popular culture supported it. And this, I think we'll stop here and get to the next one because I feel like the popular culture 
uh, supported a Christian understanding of Christmas, you know, and it no longer does. Right. So we have to build our own understanding. So anyway, uh, plug for hymns, plug for hymnody, a uh, plug for buying hymnals for your church and a plug for learning to embrace the best of the, the, the sacred music and hymnody of the ages that the church has to offer. Amen. Don't settle. Yes. Amen. Okay. Thanks. Thank you for listening. My name is Greg Smith. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you please hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you get your podcasts? And please share it with others. And if you're curious about the Catholic worldview and faith, the Church and its Saints, or Catholic history, culture, and art, then visit consideringcatholicism.com. And email me to let me know what you think. Greg at consideringcatholicism.com.